Good morning, everyone. It's really wonderful to have you at church with us. I want to just uh, start our teaching time of today's service by just asking you to turn to somebody and share what is something that has become so familiar to you that you can do on autopilot. Something that is so familiar to you that you can do on autopilot. Turn and share it to the person next to you. All right, well, it would seem from the burst of conversation that that was not a tricky enough question, so I'll have to think of another one. But chances are that's a common experience, isn't it? It's a common experience to have something become so familiar to us that we can actually go on autopilot. We don't even consciously have to engage in the activity, whether that's something as simple as lacing our shoelaces, washing the dishes, driving. That always scares me. Have you ever experienced that where you come, it's almost like you come back into your body and you're like, not entirely sure where the last five minutes went, but really hope I didn't run any red lights. So it's, it's so familiar that we can go on autopilot. Or the flip side is sometimes that we are so familiar with an activity or it is so much part of our routine, our have to, that it becomes something for us that we just, it's a ticker box, something that we don't have to actively engage in the meaning of. And I have to confess that sending birthday cards to relatives across the country has become that for me. It's just something that I have to do in every five. Father's Day and Mother's Day and birthdays and anniversaries and Christmases and Easter's. It's expected that I will put something in the mail to my family members, not just my immediate family. And so this becomes, for me, something that I just have to do. It becomes a ticker box thing where I don't actively engage in the meaning um, of the act. Really hope none of my family listen online to my sermons. (laughs) But we experience this with things like grace and you're saying giving thanks at the beginning of a meal, don't we? It becomes for us something that is so routine, that is so familiar that we can engage in the activity without engaging in the meaning of the activity. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to jump into this series, Beyond Routine. We're going to look at five practices that individuals and us collectively as a church are called into. Now, each of these five are at their very foundation, an expression and an outworking of a personal relationship with God. And so therefore, they are also the means by which that personal relationship can deepen and mature. The very practices, if we engage with them as they are meant to, can actually be a means of transformation in us as we experience and as we encounter the living God. And yet, when it comes to things of faith, it can all be too easy to find ourselves just going through the motions. Have you been there? On autopilot, we engage with these practices at a surface level, out of habit, maybe out of a sense of Christian duty. I've got to tick that box. And we miss out on the transformative power and the deepening walk with Christ that these things can lead us into. And at worst, these things can become legalism, something that must be done in order to please or appease God, can even be, at its ugliest, something that we judge other people on the basis of. And so in this series and through this series, we want to reclaim these things as what they truly are. They are gifts to us, means by which we can encounter the living God and grow in increasing intimacy with him as we fully engage with these. And today we're going to kick off with what Karl Barth said is the most momentous, the most urgent and the most glorious action that can take place in the human life. Worship. And if there's one thing we don't want to go on autopilot in, surely it is worship. If there's one thing we don't want to reduce to a a ticker box, something that we have to do, surely it is worship. 
So why don't you pray with me and we'll jump into what God has for us this morning. Our Father in heaven, you are infinitely, wonderfully and unquestionably worthy of our worship. You are so worthy of our affection. And we want to cry out before you this morning, declaring that we do not want to be a people who live from a place of mindless repetition or reluctant Christian duty. Father, we want to be a church, your church, where the passionate pursuit of your presence is as normal and as habitual and as important to us as breathing. Father, we want to be a church that is so alive in our faith that worship spills forth in beautifully authentic and spirit-led ways. And so we invite you to move among us. We welcome you in our midst, Lord Jesus. Have your way this morning. Have your way. Amen. Well, if I was to ask you the question, what is the first image that comes to mind when you think of the word worship, what would it be? Do you got it? First thing that comes to mind. Chances are, I'm going to guess, and you can prove me wrong at the end of this, if I've misjudged you all, I reckon there's a couple of images that immediately spring to mind when we think of worship. Normally, we think of somebody, maybe on their own or in a crowd, with their eyes closed and their hands raised. Hands up for those who are, yep, see, you can raise your hands in church. It's great. Maybe, (laughs) just, just... preparing the way. Or maybe an image that you think of is someone actually prostrate, bowed down on the ground in a position of worship. Did anybody picture that one? Great, wonderful. That actually captures one of the New Testament words for worship really well. Maybe for those who read their scriptures and have have wonderful imaginations, your mind went to that great scene in heaven around the throne room of God where there are creatures and and people upon people around Jesus and around the Father and are worshipping him forever. Did anybody's mind go there? Yeah, a few people of mine went there which as well, which is great. And I'm really glad that that's the kind of thing that, that comes to mind when we think about worship, because partly a picture paints the story of a thousand words, and that's about 10 minutes of a sermon, so that's a really good basis to start from. But actually, it is a really good place to start from, because it captures part of the essence of what worship is. Now, as a word, it's, it's English etymology, worship means to ascribe worth or worthiness to another. It is about honouring and giving glory. And as I said, one of the New Testament Greek words we translate as worship, which is the word proskenuo, means to bow down or to prostrate yourself before somebody of much higher station. Usually in the ancient Near East, that would have been a a king. And when it comes to the biblical use of the idea, obviously our worship is centered around God. D.A. Carson, the biblical scholar, writes that worship is the proper response of all moral sentient beings to God ascribing all honour and worth to their creator God precisely because he is worthy and delightfully so. Now that might not be the sexiest definition of worship you've ever heard or colourful or most emotional, but at its very core, this is what worship is. It's about giving worth. It's about responding to who God is. A.W. Tozer, who's a great Christian man from the last century, wrote it in in much more colourful language. He said, Worship is to feel in your heart and respond in some appropriate manner, a humbling but delightful sense of admiring awe and astonished wonder and overpowering love in the presence of that most ancient mystery, that majesty which philosophers call the first cause, but which we call our Father who art in heaven. Or to paraphrase him, Worship is to feel in your heart and express in some appropriate manner a humbling but delightful sense of admiring awe and astonished wonder and overpowering love in the presence of the living God. You see, if you know God, 
then worship is the most natural and appropriate response to who he is. You might even say it is the only appropriate response to who he is. When God turns up in your life and you truly get to know him, you won't need someone like me to explain to you why you should worship him. You'll get it and you'll want to. You'll get what the psalmists are saying in Psalm 63 and Psalm 28 when they declare that because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Well, Psalm 28, you are the one my heart trusts in. My heart leaps for joy, and with my song, I will praise him. You know, there are so many places in Scripture where I could take you this morning, and I have to be really restrained and not do that. So I just want to go to one place really quickly at this part of the message, uh, and it's in the Old Testament. Uh, it's 1 Chronicles chapter 16. If you know the story of David restoring the ark back to Jerusalem, you can nod. We're not going to talk about the dancing bit. This is in the next chapter. So in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, David has led this amazing procession where the ark of the Lord, which represented to the old covenant people of God, the very presence of God in their midst. And there's this wonderful, jubilant, unashamed worship that goes on in this procession as the ark representing God's presence is brought back into the capital. But in chapter 16, David then appoints and anoints these people to proclaim worship and encourage the people to do so. And so we pick it up from verse 23. They declare this over all those who are gathered there. Sing to the Lord all the earth, proclaim his salvation day after day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all the gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord, he is the one who made the heavens. Splendour and majesty are before him, strength and joy are in his dwelling place. So ascribe to the Lord, give worth to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendour of his holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. So let the heavens rejoice and let all the earth be glad. Let them say among all nations... The Lord, the Lord reigns. In the proper biblical understanding, worship is centred around who God is, around what he has done, who he is in relationship with us, and it's conducted in his presence. This is not something we do distantly or remotely, but we actually pour out in his presence. And as such, it's not limited to any particular activity. It's not just the singing of songs in church. We know this, yes? It's every bit of obedience. It's every testifying conversation we have with those who don't yet know him. Worship is not limited to any particular activity, nor is it limited to any particular time or particular place. It's because the natural response to our loving God is, here I am, have all of me. I want my entire life to be lived as an offering of worship. You know, when I think of who my God is, really think about who my God is, about what he has done for me, about how I now get to experience him and his presence with me, when I believe and I actually feel that he is the God who is near, the God who loves and the God who draws me near, there is no way that singing a few songs on Sunday is ever going to cut it. It's in those moments when I truly understand who God is that I want my entire life 
to echo the song of heaven, so to speak. In every moment of every day, in every thought, interaction, word and deed, all of it echoing this song of heaven, this unceasing celebration and declaration of the goodness of God and his surpassing worth and of my desire to worship him forever. Does this make sense? And so we're not going to go any further in this message until we actually stop and declare together his goodness and his greatness. So I'm going to invite the band back up. We actually feel that we want to respond to who God is and the fact that he is the God who is near, the God who is here. The God in whom, whose presence we conduct all of life, including this service time together. And I just want to read from Psalm 150, which, which celebrates and invites and calls God's people to praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with, and they list lots of instruments and include dancing in this list. And then verse 6, so let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Why don't you stand and let's do just that before we go any further. feel I need to yeah, repent and ask forgiveness for taking your attention back to me after that. But we'll get another chance to get back into that place of just sitting at his feet and worshipping him in a minute. Worship is this beautiful response to who our God is and what he has done for us, what he means to us. And there's something particularly wonderful about the way that finds expression when we gather together as God's people for the express purpose of worshipping him, wouldn't you say? So worship is an all-of-life response to who he is. Whenever we magnify, bring him glory, praise him, give him his worth, that is what worship is. And yet there is also something wonderfully unique and powerful and should be normal about when we gather together as his people to worship him. I think it does some wonderful things in us and for us. So um, I want to run you through a quick few things now, just, to, just so we get uh, an understanding that, we, that this is not something that we can ever take for granted, that we can ever reduce to a ticker box thing, a Christian duty that we should do. We should always kind of make sure that we're never going into that place of being so familiar with coming together and worshipping him that we can go on autopilot. So I want to speak briefly about the impact of worship. I want to start by not thinking about us because it is bigger than us, thankfully, and that is the impact of worship in witness and in warfare. In Psalm 96, the psalmist invites those who are gathered to worship God, to sing to the Lord and to praise his name, to proclaim his salvation day after day, to declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous deeds among all people. There is actually something about our worship together as believers, our response to who God is, that testifies something about him, doesn't it? It witnesses to his goodness and to his greatness to a watching world. And so Timothy Keller reminds us that God directs his people not simply to worship, but to sing his praises before the nations. 
We're not simply called to communicate the gospel to non-believers. We must also intentionally celebrate the gospel before them. There is a beautiful power in actually seeing a group of people whose hearts are so moved by the presence and the person um, of their God that when you see that expression of worship, it causes you to think, now what is it that they have or what kind of understanding do they have of God? I was reading a testimony of, of a pastor this week who actually said that's how he came to faith. He was on a uni campus and he saw a bunch of Christians gathered together and worshipping out on the lawn and he looked across and even though he wasn't invited to be there, he went, there's something going on there that is real that I want to know about and drifted near and that became the the, the catalyst for him actually finding faith as he saw the brothers and sisters worshipping God. Now, don't you think that should be normal here at Parramatta Baptist Church? The people come into the life of our church and they see the way that we worship and the song and the cry of our heart that we lift up to God and they go, this God must be real. These people are having some sort of experience of a God, man, I want what they're having. And so it witnesses to the goodness and greatness of God. We see this in the early church as well. Acts chapter 2, as Luke records for us of the life of the early church, uh, he reminds us that every day they continue, this is Acts 2 verse 46, they continue to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts like we have just done, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Worship witnesses to the goodness and the greatness and the glory um, of our God. And when we're able to lift up our worship, sometimes in circumstances that are really difficult, that can be the most powerful witness uh, of all to our yet-to-believe family and friends. But it's not just witness, is it? There's an element of warfare in our worship as well. Because worship, like prayer, is an act of defiance against the kingdom of darkness and the culture of this prevailing age. Worship declares the goodness of God and it submits to his righteous rule and reign, often inviting him in the words that we sing to move in our midst and in our hearts and in our world. Worship opens spiritual eyes to who God is, the truth of his words. And often in a time of concentrated worship, that that is the kind of stuff where our hearts just go, we are all in on the kingdom. There is an element of spiritual warfare that happens in us as we worship, but also in the world. And I confess that I'm a babe in the woods on that topic, so I won't uh, go uh, any further um, into that, uh, other than to observe, I love the way that YWAM will send prayer and worship teams ahead of them into the cities that they're going to visit with missionaries. I think that's just cool. They want to saturate the place in prayer and worship before the proclamation of the word uh, happens in that place. So the impact of worship is so much bigger than just our our subjective experience of it. Uh, It has an outward element, but it also has an other person's centeredness when we gather together, that there is an impact of worship in community, isn't there? Have you experienced this as you ever gathered together? Colossians 3.16 and Ephesians 5.19 celebrate this this part of worship in the life of the community, that as we sing these songs from the Spirit to God and to one another, there is a strengthening and an encouraging and a hope-giving that happens side to side as well. I remember when I was out somewhere 
I think we was in, in a beach and it was um, with, with a mate of mine and you're just going to the beach uh, and then all of a sudden we crest over the, the dune and, and see the, the sea and the sun glinting off it and he just bursts into this praise declaration of God, you are so good uh, for all your creation and geez, the impact that has on me, right? That's not a subjective, personal, individualised experience but actually his worship of God in that moment, the way he magnified him and glorified him had an impact on me as a believer. He called me into that same place of awe and wonder and wanting to reorient myself to the very presence of God with us on that beach. Does that make sense? Maybe you've experienced this as you've come here from your weeks where you're not normally surrounded by people who are in love with Jesus, some who actually almost would set themselves up against what we would say the kingdom of God. And you come into this place and you see a community gathered who just delight in being his children and your heart goes, have you experienced that? That's like the Holy Spirit confirming within you, this is how we were intended to respond to God. This is how we were intended to live at his feet, gazing upon his face, lifting him up. There is a ministry to one another as we worship. It gives strength, it sets our gaze, and it certainly brings about unity. I maintain that some of the the closest feelings of unity I've experienced with other believers are in the context of serving, in the context of praying together, and in the context of worshipping together, because there's something wonderfully unifying when our hearts are aligned around our love for God. Amen. Praise the Lord. So uh, also be conscious then as you come to these gathered times of worship that the way that you engage in worship is lending strength and giving courage to those around you as well. So, so be a blessing in that space is my encouragement. And of course, the, there is a significant impact of worship in the one who worships. C.S. Lewis wrote last century, in the, in the process of being worshipped, God communicates his presence to the worshipper. There is something so profound that happens in us as we actually sit in the presence of God and lift him up. We had a, an AM worship team gathering a, a couple of months ago and we actually just kind of threw this question out and, and just asked everybody, what actually are some of the things that happen in us as we engage in the act of worshiping God and lifting him high? And there's such a, a broad uh, list of things I probably can't run all through them, but people said things like, you know, that we have a genuine connection with God. We feel that connection with God. There is a sense of release of burden and joy as we adopt that, that posture before God. There is an awareness of his presence. Often it is a means by which we get revelation as well. We actually hear from God in those times. It reinforces scripture as we're declaring truth over and over again in song. It can lead to conviction, actually. And this is what you see in Ezekiel as, as he has this vision of God being worshipped, this conviction of his own sinfulness, which leads to then confession and repentance and making himself available for what God would have him do and how God would work through him. Others mentioned that in those moments, there's been a sense of clarity or discernment over something that's going on in their life. Change of perspective, that wonderful reinforcing of surrender to God and his goodness and his lordship. People described feeling peace, peace that surpasses all understanding, or their faith growing and being stirred, this feeling of coming closer to God and to his followers, and this wonderful strengthening of our relationship with him. In the process of being worshipped, God communicates his presence to those being worshipped. You see, worship is no chore. Worship is a life-giving, life-transforming practice that brings us into the most intimate of encounters with the living God. 
Are you with me on this one too? So this is something we don't want to be running on autopilot, to be reducing to a ticker box. We want to reclaim worship as this gift to us by which we can know and experience and respond to who God is. So as we reclaim worship throughout this series, just want to remind us that, that the first of all, we need to reclaim worship as an all-of-life activity and desire. That when we gather together into these times where we corporately sing and pour out our devotion on God, that actually has to be congruent with how we're living Monday to Saturday. And then the act of sung worship or corporate worship simply becomes a spillover, an expression of that which we have already decided to do, a conscious choice to worship God with all that we are. Ravi Zacharias, who's a very incredibly intelligent Christian, reminds us that there are no unique postures and times and limitations that restrict our access to God. The Christian does not go to the temple to worship. The Christian takes the temple with him or her. Jesus lifts us beyond the building and pays the human body the highest compliment by making it his dwelling place, the place where he meets with us. So worship must be an all-of-life activity uh, and desire. And then it needs to find expression in the context of this, the the gathered community where we come together for the express purpose of worshipping him. Secondly, I think we need to reclaim worship as something that is so much more than an individualistic, subjective experience. Worship is fundamentally God-centric. It is focused on him. It is about ascribing worth and honour and glory to him. There is a personal element because it transforms the one who worships. But there is also a communal element to this, as I've already shared. And I love this quote from uh, Jeremy Riddle, who is one of my many man crushers, great worship leader. And he writes this, if we are hungry for more of God, more of the Holy Spirit moving in our midst, more of his presence and power in our gathered times, then we need to give ourselves to unity at a whole new level. I dream of a coming day when the gathered church won't wait for the stars to align, the angels to sing, the worship leader they wish was leading, the songs they wish he or she was playing, or the perfect worshipful mood to strike before they engage their heart, mind, soul, and body in sustained, unified praise. When we truly understand that we don't need to know all the songs, care for the style of music, like the worship leader's voice, I receive that, or even sing to posture our hearts in unity with those around us and glorify Jesus. You see, unity starts as an internal posture, an individual choice we must make. And I can't help but sense that if we just do something as simple as determine in our hearts before we set foot in the building or the meeting to respond and engage in the spirit of unity for the glory and honour of Jesus, then something explosive will happen. A river of his blessing will flow. I'm excited for the ways that God is going to meet us in our times of worship as a church into the future. Are you? I think there is a really clear sense for me that's somewhere between burden and conviction and inspiration and challenge that God is calling us as a faith community deeper into a culture of worship, where culture is not just something that we do or an activity that we engage in, uh, but worship is that whole of life response to who he is. I think there is more for us individually throughout the week. I think there's more for us in our gathered times of worship. And I believe God is calling us deeper into this culture of worship. There's a really clear sense in the pastoral team 
and vision that our gathered times here on Sunday would be about hosting the presence of God. Uh, This is not about manipulating emotions or trying to do things really cleverly in our own strength and loading the stage with the best musicians money can buy, which is probably good because we don't pay them, (laughs) but that it's actually about recognising that he is here, that he is in our midst, that Jesus is Lord of this church, that the Holy Spirit is encountering us, that he is moving among us. And so we need to be a people who learn to position ourselves to actively engage and respond with the God who is already here, Emmanuel, God with us. And so our Sunday services then don't become, uh, we've got to get through the list of things to do and we've got to sing the songs and we've got to do the preaching and we've got to send the kids out and take up an offering. It becomes this sense where we gather together around him and we simply host his presence, available to what he would speak, available to how he would lead, available to how he would encounter each of us personally in a way that would transform us. And so my clear communication, well, I hope it's clear to our worship teams that my understanding of what we're doing is simply facilitating an opportunity for you to encounter the living God for yourself. If we're just a group of people that come together to recite the same songs roughly in the same time, hopefully on the same melody, that's some weird karaoke. You understand that? Yeah? But when we come together to worship the living God who is here, when we understand that this space that we dedicate so much time in our service to is there to facilitate that encounter with God together, then I think truly what Jeremy Riddle was saying will come to to be. Something explosive will happen. A river of his blessings will flow. So we need to lean into these times of worship, posturing ourselves to experience and respond to the presence of the living God. There are so many practical things I could say about this, but I think the best thing for us to do is actually just to jump in to a time of doing it. So I'm going to invite um, the band up. But my challenge to you, or my encouragement to you, is that hopefully we will start bringing things in that will lead us ever increasingly towards this as a church community. And if you're finding yourself in these times of sung worship getting bored because we're repeating things a little bit, uh, maybe, maybe we're inviting you uh, at a deeper level to stop going on autopilot uh, and to actually engage and respond to the God who is here. Or if stuff happens in our times of sung worship where you're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing in this time because music seems to be happening but no words are being sung, maybe this is part of our heart to facilitate a time where you pray where you just sit and you soak in the presence of Jesus, where you open up your heart and say, God, here I am. What is it that you would speak into me and over me this morning? Worship is the most powerful, wonderful, transforming gift to us individually and as a church, not because of its activity, but because of the one in whom it is focused around and centred around, the one in whom we encounter in those moments. So we're going to spend the rest of our service and it's just a time to worship. That's it. Sing some songs, but it's not about the songs that we sing. We're going to do this together, but it's about the God who is here. So I want to pray a blessing uh, over us as we lead into this time and just invite you to um, encounter God and respond to Him in whatever way you see fit during this time. Maybe it's standing and singing. Maybe it's sitting and praying. 
maybe it's kneeling and surrendering afresh. Maybe it's closing your eyes. Maybe it's grabbing a pen and paper and journaling something. You sense God speaking. Whatever it is, I want to remind you that God is here. That He wants to be known. That He delights in making Himself known. That He loves you. He's drawing you to Himself. That He is infinitely worthy of our worship our devotion and our affection and yet he comes alongside us patience and gentleness grace and mercy Father I want to thank you that you are here with us I affirm again that you are so worthy of our worship, so worthy of our affection, you're so worthy of our devotion. And God, we posture ourselves this day and every day to lift you up, to make much of you, to sit at your feet in awe and wonder, and to pour out our love to you. Jesus, I want to speak to the blessings that you have for us as your community. I pray that you would rend those things uh, that sit over us, that living water would rain down on us. It would soak and it would saturate and it would move. And may we be a people, Lord, who truly know what it is to host your presence. Now gather times of worship but also in our personal and private lives. Because we recognise, Lord, that all of life is to be lived in this attitude of worship. of your life in his presence so worship him with all that you have